Welcome. This is jazz, just the way we like it. My name is Alfonso Severos, and this is my weekly jazz podcast, recorded live at Brick Arts in downtown Brooklyn, the People's Republic of Brooklyn. We play those classic jazz songs of the 1950s, the 1960s, the 1970s. And every now and then we play some of the modern stuff. We also discuss politics and social issues. We play music I listened to as a young man growing up right here in Brooklyn in Bed-Stuy in the Marcy Projects. Uh, And here I am now playing this music for your pleasure. And also to introduce a younger generation to that fabulous American art form known as jazz. Uh, I'm here in the studio flying solo. My co-host will not be here this week, uh, but he'll be back next week. All right, folks. You know, we always start the podcast off by playing a song, a poem, something that speaks to the issue of social justice, something that speaks to the issue of the human condition. Now, here is a very interesting artist, Cisco Rodriguez. Um, You may have heard of him. He's a Detroit musician, just known as Rodriguez. And he was the subject of the documentary, Searching for Sugar Man, which won the 2013 Documentary Academy Award. He recently died. He has an interesting story because he never really made it in the States, but he was tremendously famous in South Africa. And that's mainly with the white South Africans and the young white South Africans, who many of them had a problem with the apartheid system and government. And his music spoke to them and their issue, and he had no idea. He sold thousands of records in South Africa. He didn't even know this was going on. And it's a, it's a good story. Uh, if you haven't seen the documentary, I recommend that you, uh, you uh, take a look at it. And here's the thing. He is a fabulous artist. Not only is he a musician and singer, he's a poet. He's a combination of Dylan and um, Jimmy Hend- and uh, Richie Havens. And his lyrics, my God, creative like Dylan. So let's uh, play one of his pieces as our social justice song. And this is called Causes. Rodriguez, causes. So sit back and listen to Rodriguez. Thank you. 
Cause I lost my job Two weeks before Christmas And I talked to Jesus at the sewer And the Pope said it was none of his goddamn business While the rain drank champagne My Estonian archangel came and got me wasted Cause the sweetest kiss I ever got Is the one I've never tasted Oh, but they'll take Their bonus pay To Molly McDonald Neon lady Beauty's that which obeys Is bought or borrowed Cause my heart's become a crooked hotel Full of rumors But it's I who pays the rent For these fingered face are the tuners And I make 16 solid half-hour friendships Every evening Cause you're queen of hearts Who's half a stone and likes to laugh alone Is always threatening you with leaving Oh, but they'll play Those token games On Willie Thompson And give a medal to replace the sun Of Mrs. Annie Johnson Cause they told me everybody's gotta pay their dues And I explained that I had overpaid them So overdue I went to the company store And the clerk there said that they had just been invaded So I set sail in a teardrop And escaped beneath the door sill Cause the smell of her perfume Echoes in my head still Cause I see my people trying to drown the sun 
in weekends of whisker sours. Cause how many times can you wake up in this comic book and plant flowers? That was Rodriguez. And the song is not causes, it's cause. Uh, it's clear that the man is a musical po- was a musical poet. Uh, I've I known of him in the 70s when he recorded his music, I definitely would have brought him. I know because in the 70s I was listening to John Coltrane, Farrell Saunders, and Bob Dylan, and Jimmy, and uh, <coughs> Richie Havens. So we would have definitely listened to Rodriguez. Uh, That's one thing about the baby boomers of the 60s and 70s. We were very eclectic with our music. Uh, A variety of music. Uh, And and, uh, I would wish that young people today would become a little bit more eclectic in their music, have a greater variety and uh, don't limit their definition. We have multiple identities. Okay, folks. Uh, you know, this has been some week. If you've been following the news, my God, some crazy, crazy, well, not crazy. Actually, very understandable things have been occurring. One of the issues, one of the things all over social media, especially black Twitter and black social media, was the the brawl on the docks in Alabama. Yeah, a bunch of whites and a bunch of blacks went at it, fist to fist. Uh, so interesting, the underlying dynamics of people who believe they have privilege, that underlying dynamics of white supremacy. It's so deeply rooted in the collective consciousness of this country that it manifests itself all the time. But that issue didn't disturb me. I mean, that event on the dock did not disturb me as much as the issue in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi. Now, if you've been following the South, you, you know, man, I mean, all of us have, if you're African-American, man, you got some roots from the South. Uh, somewhere, some family came from the South. You know, we're a, a, a people that migrated. I mean, we can identify with the immigrants. Because for six decades, six million African-Americans packed up, pulled out their roots of everything they knew, packed everything they had, 
for six decades, six million, and headed north. We left because of the oppression and the possibility of better opportunities due to, that was not there in the South due to the oppression. So we know about that. But in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi is a black city. And the whites sort of recognize that. They have, we have the, the political power, the votes, a black mayor. But when you go outside of Jackson, Mississippi, in certain counties, it's white. Southern white. Old Confederate white. And they don't want no blacks around. So the incident in Mississippi had to do with the Rankin County Sheriff Office in Brandon, Mississippi. And they accused the sheriff of running a law enforcement department that allegedly terrorized and brutalized minorities. Six former Mississippi law officers, including some who call themselves the Goon Squad, pleaded guilty for their racist assault on two black men. Brutal assault on these men that ended with the officers shooting one man in the mouth. They tied them up, they tortured them. Water ball, what is, what is it when you pour the water over, over their mouths, over the cloth, that uh, torturing technique. The six white Mississippi law officers pleaded guilty to state charges and federal charges. And understand how this happened. One of the two blacks was friends and grew up with a white woman who was crippled, paraplegic. And she lived in that white county and the two blacks lived in the black section and she asked them for help because she had difficulty getting around. So they went over to help her, and they stayed there helping her. Some white folks saw these black dudes in this white lady's house over a period of time called the sheriff. And the nerve of black people being in the white part of town in Mississippi that violates that old Southern boy's so-called code of conduct. And they came in the night, attacked them, tortured them, and brutalized, and eventually shot one in the mouth. The goon squad. And this is not the only incident that these men are associated with. Well known in the South. The thing about the South, yeah, the South is changing, which means there are pockets in which we can live and prosper. Even in Georgia, you can live and prosper well in Atlanta, Georgia, but go outside of Atlanta. You better watch your back. Because the racism, the hatred is deeply rooted, embedded in the collective consciousness and collective unconsciousness of this nation. We never attempted to resolve it. It's deep. 
and it's been it's been historically reinforced by the capitalist system. You know, slavery was about money, and then it came come to be about race. But believe me, it started out about money. And that grew out of a system that we still have today. So uh, that problem in Mississippi disturbed me immensely. I'm not going to keep going on about this because these, these issues occur and reoccur and uh, seems to be endless because it's so deep in the, this notion of superiority and at the same time the victims with the notion of inferiority. It's there. The psychology is there. And it's a question of degrees. There are some people who have worked through this, regardless of race, and are trying to deal with it the best they can. And there are others where this is not the case. It's a question of degree. All right, folks, let's move on because I will start talking. I'm here by myself with a mic, and Lord knows I can, I can go. I mean, there's so much that needs to be said and that people don't want to hear uh, about the history of African Americans in this country. My God, we're in a country that at one time, man, uh, in, in World War I, where family members of mine and probably family members of yours joined the army because that was the thing to do and the patriotic thing to do. And the army and the president and the government said, no, you can't have a gun. So blacks in World War II did not fight under the American, and World War I did not fight under the American flag because they refused to give African-American guns. They had to fight under the French flag. France. And not much changed in World War II. Yeah, the, you know, World War II where, where African Americans fought and we see all this stuff on the Tuskegee Airmen and the bravery of the Black Panthers tank division and the big red and, and supplying the troops. Crucial role in World, World War II. And the war was over. And they says, hey, we were going to reward the GIs, the veterans. And they came out with the GI Bill. And you know, a lot, I'm a, a baby boom. I was born in 1946, a year after World War II ended. And uh, my family lived in Harlem, and I lived my family for the first two years of my life. And then veterans were given the benefits of getting into public housing projects. And we moved to Brooklyn to a project, uh, Marcy Projects, when I was two years old, 1948. And for the first 12, 13 years of my life, 
most of my friends in the Marcy, half of my friends, are because about 20, 30, 40% of the people were white. And they were the same economic status as the blacks. And their parents were veterans. And that's how they got the priority of, of moving into the projects. But then it started to change. The white families moved out. Not because they had better jobs, not because they had better income, not because they were more deserving. They were able to move out and move into their own home. We're blacks. We were stuck in the project. We were caught in that loop. And whites moved out to the suburbs. And we began to see the whites who were able to get houses. The beginning of that income gap between whites and blacks. In fact, let me give you a little statistics. In 1947, only 2% of the 3,200 home loans in 13 Mississippis, only two, not 3%, only two, just the number two of the 3,200 home loans in 13 Mississippi cities went to black GIs. The rest went to whites. And not only that, that wasn't just in Mississippi. It was across the nation. In New York and northern Jersey, fewer than 100 black veterans received GI mortgage loans, and that's out of 67,000 that was given out. And, you know, once you got a house, you have the foundation for wealth. Money, uh, it builds equity. You can borrow against to use uh, to put your kids through college. That GI Bill ended in 1956, but at that time, nearly 8 million World War II veterans got benefits. 4.3 million home loans worth $33 million were given out, and we got shafted. So long history of being shafted in this country. And it still continues. All right, folks. I, I got a little carried away there. But how history is history, no matter how much they want to deny it. And the facts and the numbers speak for themselves. Today's podcast is about two giants in jazz. Oscar Peterson and Bill Evans. Two giant piano players. Oscar Peterson, Bill Evans. And let's start off with a piece by Oscar Peterson called Summertime. Sit back and enjoy.
Oscar Peterson. Uh, summertime. Oscar Peterson was born in 1925. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2007. He was born in Montreal, Canada. His parents were immigrants from the West Indies. He grew up in the black section of Montreal, and there he was introduced to jazz. He taught himself how to play the piano, organ, and trumpet. His sister also tutored him on classical music. Uh, he developed into one of the great virtuoso, one of the greatest jazz pianists of all time. He released it over 200 recordings, won eight Grammy Awards, as well as a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Recording Academy, and numerous other awards. He played so many concerts. He had a career that lasted 60 years. Oscar Peterson, one of the great jazz piano players. The second jazz piano player we're going to focus on today is also one of the greats, whose path was a little different from Oscar Peterson. His name was William John Evans, known in the jazz community as Bill Evans. Bill Evans. There's uh, a piece by Bill Evans called Autumn leaves. Autumn leaves. Sit back and enjoy. Thank you. 
Autumn Leaves, recorded in 1959, uh, with Bill Evans on piano, Scott LaFaro on bass, and Paul Mortrin on the drums, the Bill Evans Trio. Now, Bill Evans was born in 1929, and unfortunately, he died in uh, 1980. Uh, He was considered one of the premier jazz pianists of his time for his creative uh, playing. He was born in Plainfield, New Jersey, um, and was classically trained at Southern Southern Eastern Louisiana University and also music school here in New York City. Um, He moved to the city, and in 1958, he joined the Miles Davis Group. Now, that's an interesting piece because he played a significant role in the, uh, the classic album of uh, 1959 that helped change the direction of jazz, uh, and that's kind of blue that had Bill Evans, uh, John Coltrane, Miles Davis, and others. Uh, while he was in the Miles Davis group, he befriended John Coltrane. Now, at that time in 1958, 1959, Bill Evans was into Eastern philosophy. Uh, an Eastern religion. And he sort of introduced John Coltrane to it. And we know where that went. Uh, So Bill Evans played an important role in John Coltrane's personal and I dare say spiritual development. Uh, He went on with his trio and played and recorded until his death. Bill Evans, Autumn Leaves. I hope you enjoyed that piece, folks. Uh, His style, if you listen, is so different from Oscar Peterson, yet both are pure genius. Oscar Peterson and Bill Evans. Now, we're going to play two songs, uh, one of Oscar Peterson and one of Bill Evans, who I personally consider their best for different reasons. The first is a piece done by uh, Oscar Peterson in 1964. And if you know 1964, if you know history, man, that's the year the Civil Rights Act was passed. That's the year of the marches. That's the year that, that things were going upside down. And Bill Evans wanted to, you know, the freedom marches, the freedom riders, and he wanted to speak to that. And he wrote a piece called Hymn to Freedom with uh, Oscar Peterson on piano, Ray Brown on bass, and Ed Triggins on drums. So... Listen to Oscar Peterson, Hymn to Freedom. Mm-hmm. 
That's Oscar Peterson uh, on a piece called Hymn to Freedom. His uh, contribution to the civil rights movement. Um, that was recorded in 1964 live in Denmark with Oscar Peterson on piano, uh, Ray Brown on bass, and Ed Tinkman on drums. Man, what a piece. It has that deep Southern Baptist rhythm to it. Uh, and he wrote that piece uh, as a tribute to the civil rights movement that was going on at that time, 1964. All right. And you can see his, you can hear his genius and musical style. Man. Uh, let's go to the other great, Bill Evans. And... Uh, He's going to play a song that a lot of musicians have played. But I've never heard anybody play this song the way he does it. And it, this piece is just him. Just Bill Evans on piano. And it was recorded in 1962. And you know the song, Danny Boy. And the changes that he does with this song just brilliant. Bill Evans, Danny Boy. Thank you. 
Wow, wow, wow. Bill Evans, Danny Boy, pure genius. What can I say? What a just a masterpiece. That was Bill Evans. All right, folks, we are going to wrap it up with uh, uh, one more round of uh, songs, by one by Oscar Peterson and one more by Bill Evans. Uh, those are the two feature artists. Uh, here's a piece, uh, one of his most popular pieces by Oscar Peterson called Sea Jam Blues. And this was recorded, this is a live recording in Denmark also in 1964. So uh, sit back, folks, and enjoy Oscar Peterson in Sea Jam Blues.
Wow, smoking, high energy, folks. Oscar Peterson in his uh, recording Sea Jam Blues. That was recorded in 1964 in Denmark with Oscar Peterson on piano, Ray Brown on bass, and Ed uh, Thangpin on drums. Man, they were smoking, absolutely smoking. Well, we got time for one more piece, and we're going to play one more Bill Evans piece called Midnight Mood. And this was recorded live in Switzerland in 1975. Uh, Bill Evans, Midnight Mood, live in Switzerland.
That's Midnight Mood, Bill Evans Trio, live in Switzerland in 1975 with Bill Evans on piano, Eddie Gomez on the bass, and Elliot Zygmunt on the drums. Beautiful piece, absolutely beautiful. Well, folks, I really hope you enjoyed our tribute to Oscar Peterson and Bill Evans. I enjoyed bringing this tribute to you, playing their music and discussing them a little bit. Uh, but it's that time. And uh, as always, I love doing this podcast. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Uh, and tune in next week. And like always, folks, until the next time, peace and love. We're going out on Etta James at last. Cheek to a thrill that I.